0: Welcome to the Becker's ASC podcast. My name is Alan Condon, and I'm a writer-reporter with Becker's Healthcare. I'm joined today by Mark Mineo, Director of Millard Fillmore Surgery Center in Buffalo, New York. Pleasure to have you join us today, Mark. Uh, Could you just say, please take a moment to... Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Could you take a moment to introduce yourself and share a little bit about your background?
1: Sure. My name's Mark Minio. I'm the Director at Millard Fillmore Surgery Center. Um, We're a multi-specialty facility, actually one of the original uh, ambulatory surgery centers in Buffalo, New York. We have everything from orthopedics to pain management to plastics and some ENT.
0: Fantastic. Well, to kick things off, uh, I'm wondering, can you tell me a little bit about where your ASC is at the moment and how has it changed since the pandemic began?
1: Yeah, well, we were... Up to about two years ago, we saw a decline in our our volume, and over the last year or two, we've we've hit some steady growth. So we were we were on a good path of growth and revenue, and heading in the right direction. And obviously, when this happened, especially in New York where things came to a, a screeching halt, it stopped all growth. So we weren't able to do any cases for fifty-five business days, um, and then as we we're getting ready to ramp up, we had staff members that weren't comfortable coming back to uh, a medical setting a surgical setting they weren't sure how comfortable they're going to be regardless of our precautions or we told them that what we were doing they just they weren't comfortable coming back so we lost four rns due to pure comfort level um they were all per diem but nonetheless we really count on those per diems to help fill in in the gaps in scheduling so now as we're starting to we've been we were able to do elective surgeries as of june eighth, I believe, but now we have to watch our volume for the pure fact that we have holes in our scheduling with our staff members. So that's just another thing that we have to worry about, about regardless of the paperwork, because we do have additional paperwork with each case that we book just to make sure they meet criteria for our current state. A couple of things that we've had to do in this new era, if you will, is we don't allow any family members in our waiting room unless they're a minor or they have some other need. We have temperature screening and questionnaire for every person that walks into our building, whether it's a physician, a vendor, a director or patients. So that that takes an added toll to our staff, but also just operationally. Um, And then we only have one point of entry now. So again, whether you're a physician, a staff or a patient, we have to make sure that we're socially distant, but we're only coming in one entrance point, so we can keep everything moving. And in Buffalo, New York, that's not an issue here in June. But as as the seasons roll through, that might be an issue come um, the colder months. Mm-hmm. And uh,
0: looking looking beyond, uh, you know, into twenty 2020, twenty twenty one and and into twenty twenty two. How do you see your ASC, uh, you know, come that time once you do get past this potential second wave? uh, Curious to hear your thoughts on what you see being different then and what you also see remaining the same.
1: From an operational perspective, we've built our plan to keep this for the long haul. It'll be easier for us if we're allowed to step back and not do the questionnaire or the temperature logs to step back into that. But that being said, we don't know when or if that will ever happen. So our plan is to keep doing what we're doing currently until we're told otherwise. So we've tried to up our staffing to do the temperature logs. We've um, increased our PPE levels and some of our other supplies that you're always concerned that they're gonna run out. Um, I think our volume will come back. We, all our surgeons have come back. Some of the patients still haven't come back due to whether it's comfort level or quite frankly, they've been off of work for three months. And they simply don't have the time or the financial resources to have their procedures done. But again, as time proceeds, I think people will become more comfortable in the state, and we'll get some of that volume, if not all that volume, back. And again, with um, our staffing model, we're we're hurting right now in regards to losing some of our positions. And as as you know, it it you just don't hire a nurse and. And throw them in the trenches right away. It takes three months of training to get a circulating nurse up and running to full speed.
0: Mm-hmm. In terms of staffing, obviously that's a big challenge for you. What, what are the challenges are you seeing in terms, of, in terms of staffing at the moment?
1: We're fortunate. We're owned by a healthcare system so we heavily rely on them for, um, for backups if you will we were pretty well supplied as we saw this coming down the pike so we were able to supply up with our ppe but it's also nice when you have the the largest healthcare system in western new york as part of your your system so we can count on them if we run low on any type of ppe and we do all our COVID testing through them hearing in the community that getting patients tested for COVID prior to surgery has become an issue but we're fortunate being part of that system, all our patients get tested. We can get testing that day, and we get results between 24 and 48 hours after.
0: And I know that obviously on top of mind at the moment is this potential second wave in the fall and how bad, how bad that may be. I know you touched on it a little bit in the previous question, but I'm just wondering if you could expand a little bit on preparations that, that your practice is making for, for that potential spike later in the year.
1: The one thing that I feel comfortable in, the staff is comfortable. We've had the conversation. Unfortunately, we furloughed our whole staff uh, a couple months ago. So they've been through that process. Obviously, we do not want to do that again. But they know we had their best interest and the best interest of the community in mind when we did that. So just to keep open communication with, with the staff and doctors, if things are coming down, once you hear a rumor, we try you know squashing it as soon as possible, just for the fact that once a rumor gets wheels, we know that the damage it can cause. Um, again, keeping PPE fully stocked, just to the point where we have a week or two of supplies, but we're obviously not hoarding because we don't want to hoard PPE. And closely monitoring other supplies, as other facilities start ramping up, some of the the vendors out there either have been furloughed themselves or are running low on supplies. So to make sure we don't stop procedures due to not having normal surgical supplies.
0: Mm-hmm, absolutely. And during the pandemic, there was a lot of discussion around the essential surgery. How do you how do you anticipate this discussion will affect specialty surgeries going forward?
1: Yeah, that's a great question because we we ran into that with our uh, surgical executive committee as kind of deciphering what the executive order was as they would come down, and as this prolonged and it seemed like we weren't sure why we weren't operating it. We had um, we were seeing more advocacy groups of the surgeons and the ambulatory surgery centers trying to get what exactly that definition is in the spur of the moment. So, you know, time is money. We're sitting here not working, not taking care of our patients for what what is the government looking for? What's that trigger word? And they came out with some things and that's what we were we ran with it, you know, at the end of the day. But I think it's it's very important to have those discussions now. So, we've been through it once, let's not make that same mistake twice. What is essential? Is there Is a true ligament tear or tendon tear considered essential on a young athlete more than a higher aged patient? Does certain specialties not have um, essential surgery, quote unquote? So because we were having doctors that we they couldn't we didn't think that their procedures or their specialty have essentials, but they were giving us a case and willing to attest to it was a it was an essential surgery. And that puts the directors of surgery centers in a position where I don't think we should be, and that should be more of a peer-to-peer conversation and um, decision.
0: Mm -hmm. Being in in such a harder hit part of the country in terms of the coronavirus, uh, and with the late start to elective surgery, I believe you said it was June 8th, what are some best practices that you've learned or anything that has or hasn't worked in those couple of weeks since you've um, started gradually ramping up surgeries again?
1: No, my staff has done a great job. They, there was no rust. We were a little nervous just being off so long. That kind of keep things moving. We scheduled cases appropriately so we didn't have any mad rushes. We could bring patients in, not have them sitting in the waiting room, or not have so too many in the pre-op or block room. That we we kept our efficiencies up, but also we made sure that we didn't overcommit to what, we're, what we usually did. And that started with discussions with our surgeons. The surgeons were great. We said we will do the best we can. This is uncharted water for us, just like them. And we just need to be patient with each other. The one analogy that we kept hearing around here was we're building an airplane in midair. So we, we don't know what that next step is until we get done with this step. And the staff and, and our surgeons did a great job with teamwork to make sure that we just, it was business as usual, but not the old business. If that makes any sense.
0: Mm. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. thank you so much for sharing sharing your thoughts there. Uh, finally, I, I wonder if you could just fill me in a little bit on on the culture that you've created at at Miller Fillmore. I'm um, curious to hear about that. Yeah,
1: um, the one big thing when I started here three years ago was just open communication. So I have an open door policy. Um, staff can come in and tell me what what they think I need to hear w- with a closed door. So if they want me to share it or not, I have them tell me that up front because I can't make changes if I can't talk about it with my nurse manager or my office manager. But also sometimes they just wanna come in and bend an ear and, I, and I'm okay with that. Um, I do have town hall meetings. Not as regularly as I'd like, but I'll have it with our different departments and I'll have an agenda of what I need to cover, whether it's new regulatory or a new physician coming on board, but I also make sure I give them plenty of time to speak freely and out loud in a group setting to get whatever they want off their chest and to help me plan for the next quarter or the next year coming up. And, and I do think that makes a big difference. Um, sometimes you, I tell them I'll listen to everything. I can't always change everything, though. So, And I think that's important. And I have a great staff here. And again, just like a family, you know, not everybody has to get along with everyone, but everybody has to respect each other. And I think that's a big part of having a, a great relationship with everyone and being able to take care of your patients at a high level.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your insight there, Mark. And that's it. Thank you again for Mark Mineo. Thank you so much for joining us on the Becker's ASC podcast. I really appreciate your time today.
1: Thank you. Have a great day.